The following is a paid program. Talk 97.1. This is Ion Health. Welcome back and happy Saturday. Dr. Michael Jones is out today, but we have our very special and uh, longtime friend of the show, Dr. Joe Ogile in studio. Joe, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you, Eric. Great. Glad Wonderful. to be here. Yeah, so glad to have you. And we're going to have a great conversation about sleep health, about uh, you know, every time we have you on, Dr. Ogile, uh, and I, I do have to say, I think you've taken the prize for the uh, most prepared guest host we've ever had uh because i think i got this email from your team this was probably two weeks ago i guess it was on the 14th full full show sheet that's uh, speaking to a producer's heart here okay well, I just, we got a great team and i can't thank them enough and they we certainly enjoy working with you absolutely well we love having you on and uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a number of issues today ranging from uh work stress and how that can impact your sleep and some things you might want to do about that uh how sleep and glaucoma are uh, interrelated some uh, some potential well i guess attempted regulatory issues regarding sleep in the workplace that's very interesting it's very interesting stuff and uh, and then lastly we'll hit on sleeping pills a little bit that'd be great uh, big big topic that a lot of folks will will have uh, plenty of hands-on um, experience with so we'll, we'll hit on that joe Clayton Sleep Institute, you guys always have so much going on. And if you want to learn more about Clayton Sleep Institute, go to claytonsleep.com, right? Yep, that'd be great. Uh, Joe, where are you now? Because at various times when you've come on the air, you've been president of this society and, and all of these things. What, where are you now? You just came back from a conference. Tell us, you know, catch us up on what's going on in your world. So the great news, uh, Clayton Sleep, thank you for asking, and you're so generous with your praise, Eric, as always. Uh, we Our focus is three parts. One is on taking care of patients day to day and, and doing whatever it needs diagnostically and therapeutically. Uh, secondly is on education. And thirdly is doing clinical research in multiple areas of sleep. So right now our, our focus is first of all, our day to day work. Uh, and then our clinical research is quite active looking at various devices as it relates to uh, positive airway pressure or treating sleep apnea. We're looking at some new drug therapies coming out for some uh, disorders of wakefulness, things like not being able to stay awake and narcolepsy. And then our educational efforts. We, I was an, an invited speaker to the uh, American Occupational Medicine Convention in, of all places, Disneyland. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we had a really energetic conversation out there uh, that was well received on therapeutic interventions for sleep and sleep disorders as it relates to that occupational medicine uh, issues. And interestingly, the physicians that care for all of our fellow neighbors and uh, citizens who work is quite complex and they're struggling to figure out how to get all this organized in a way that makes sense for both the, the doctors 
the the companies and the the workers in a way that's going to work for everybody and provide maximum safety for the community at large. You, we see this in certain industries where it's a very much an acute issue. I think we were talking a little bit about over the road truckers mm-hmm. and you know moving transportation of goods and things like that, but really. This you've been at the forefront of this conversation, not just here in the St. Louis region, but nationally in terms of sleep health and what it means for people to be able to operate just functionally and maintain reasonable stress levels in the workplace and outside of the workplace. What you know, as we get into this first article, we'll talk about in a moment. What are some key points that you would be thinking of from that conference to the broader population? Great question, and I really appreciate you bringing up this sort of subject. Uh, what what we're trying to incorporate and what you're seeing happen across the country, and so in people who are working are such an obvious group yeah. to, to have this discussion, is to be maximally effective in our lives. And, of course, our work life is typically a big portion of our life. Mm-hmm. To be maximally effective there, you have to do the things to keep you healthy to allow you to deal with the stress and vigor and that goes along with that job, that occupation. And if you're not sleeping well and you're fatigued, you're tired, you're impaired, and we've had this conversation before, if you have lack of total timing of sleep Mm -hmm. or poor quality sleep frequently, you're as impaired as an individual who's intoxicated from alcohol. Mm -hmm. If you're impaired, how can we expect those individuals to operate a heavy piece of equipment to make good decisions as it relates to finance, sure. even in your business, yeah, um, making mistakes, pushing the buttons, making wrong, wrong trades, or giving ill-timed advice. So we want to bring sleep health into every aspect of our life because it is a third of our lives. Well, and it's and it's a snowball effect. You don't sleep well, so you're fatigued, you're stressed, uh, you maybe even operating at an almost intoxicated level. I can say with with all the kids at home, some days it very much feels like that. Like I <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they're the ones who are looking like they're intoxicated or I am, but somebody's off here. Uh, but you you see that employers. And, and even to some degree, lawmakers are recognizing the importance of sleep health in just being able to sustain a, a normalized workplace environment. That's, ter- that's I think that's tremendous progress, but we have to be careful about the way we proceed there. Exactly. They, they, now we have to come to balance. These are the tougher issues, right, for all of us, because this is where medicine and health uh, intersect the reality of our lives because we have to do things in a way that both allows us to be healthy and allows us to make a living, frankly. Sure. And, and so we're, we need to have vigorous conversation about how that looks and how we're going to, what kind of touch we're going to put a heavy touch, a light touch uh, is from a regulatory perspective. And it's important that we have this debate and discussion to get a good outcome for all of our our friends and neighbors. Well, this is what we love about having you on, Dr. Ojal, because sleep health is something that quite literally applies to everyone. And to the extent you don't think it applies to you, it probably means it applies that much more. <laughs> and you, you should really pay attention to this there show. There is the line of the day right yeah, there. Yeah. So everybody has to sleep. And, and you know, many of us have struggles in various capacities, whether you're talking about uh, just not being able to get enough sleep, not enough quality sleep, or uh, maybe you know you have issues with sleep apnea or other related uh, uh, issues, give us a call at 314-241-9797 or toll free at 866-455-9797. Uh, Dr. Ojal will be happy to take your call. We'll discuss whatever your questions are. Of course, we have a ton, a ton of stuff to uh, go over uh, regardless of what calls we cover. First article that you uh, sent over, Dr. Ojal, is uh, titled Work Stress and Poor Sleep Associated with Heart Disease. This is in uh, News Medical Life Sciences. And uh, uh, tell us a little 
little bit about you know what what drew you to this particular content. So at, at we we seeing it, and you're starting to see some of this data come around out, come out worldwide. Is when you look at stress in the workplace, uh, we've found over the years that high levels of work stress, especially, but personal stress as well, lead to increased levels of especially hypertension and heart disease. Mm-hmm. What, why exactly that is, is not fully worked out. What the, the mechanism of that, whether it's from things like surges of catecholamines, which are adrenaline, or whether it's from other factors. Mm-hmm. But you hear it now, you see it in the lay press constantly now, the, the effects of stress. What, the, what we've been looking at for some period of time is, does sleep have the same effect? Does it add to that effect or does it multiply the effect? Mm-hmm. And, and sleep, we mean poor or lack of sleep. Sure. And what's, what's come out and what's coming out in some of this data now are the exact issue we've been concerned about, which is that people who are under stress tend to have less sleep quality and sleep time. Mm-hmm. The effects are at a minimum additive. In other words, the two risk factors are adding together, mm-hmm. but they may be multiplying each other. And what do we do with that? If yeah. we have those facts that it's increasing rates of high blood pressure and heart disease by two to three times the normal, that which is troubling for guys like you and me, Absolutely. right, and should be troubling for our, our listeners, is there an intervention there? Well, certainly the intervention is not the answer of, well, I just won't work. Yeah, That's probably not an adequate solution, but how do we intervene? Now, this requires an active thing, an active um movement by the by the individual in question which is taking control of their life in some way mm-hmm. so as we've talked about just like your diet just like exercise starting to incorporate sleep health into their day-to-day schedule that's changing behavior can be challenging for some folks but the first step is to acknowledge it and then learning how to deal with stress which is is not quite what our topic is today sure but it, sure. it, but those two interventions not not working. Well, we're going to cover all of that and much much more as we continue through Ion Health here, Doctor Ojal. Uh, when we come back, we'll discuss a little bit more on uh, the inner the, the interrelation between sleep health and your occupational health and safety. Uh, some of the things that you discussed at Disneyland uh, was that up on the, the were you like speaking from the castle. Well, that, well, the bad news is they made me wear a, a Mickey Mouse outfit, but it went okay. Good, good. <laughs> All right. Well, that's next on Ion Health, FM News Talk 97.1. FM News Talk 97.1. This is Ion Health. I'm Eric Robert, uh, pinch hitting here for Dr. Michael Jones, who is uh, enjoying himself this holiday weekend. Of course, here in studio, we have special guest Dr. Joe Ojal from the Clayton Sleep Institute. Joe, thanks for joining us again. Thank you for having me. It's fun. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions about sleep, sleep health, uh, you know, the ability to improve the quality of your sleep, maybe you've had struggles with sleep apnea, you have the man in the studio. <laughs> Not just the man here in the St. Louis area, but really one of the nation's preeminent uh, uh, professionals in this space here in the studio to answer your questions at 314-241-9797 or 866-455-9797. We do have uh, one call already, Steve. Uh, thank you for joining us today. What's your question for Dr. Ojo? Steve? Yeah, um, my, yeah my, I'm here. Make it uh, speaker. Sure. How, it's how, how all the best uh, first calls on the show. Uh, so, Steve, you just let us know when you're ready, okay? Sorry. Uh, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, I was just uh, um, curious. Uh, this is going to be a strange question. 
I'm um I lucid dream all the time. Started when I was uh really young. And I and I like it, but I have these things called uh it's an acronym, Wake Initiated Lucid Dreams or Wild. Okay. And uh when I'm conscious, uh throughout the whole phase of falling asleep and then going through the stages and then hitting REM sleep and uh that sucks. <laughs> and it's kinda like you can't unlearn it. It's not it's not something you can unlearn. You just go to sleep and it's uh, automatic functions and it'll just uh happen. It doesn't happen all the time, but it happens a lot to where I'm just like, I just want to shut up and here I am consciously observing everything that's going on while I'm going to sleep and it just it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor Ojo, what you know, maybe for the broader listeners uh edification what what are we talking about here, and and what what are your initial questions, and and how do you resolve it? So so some there are people who come in and dreams are a problem for them. They're up, upsetting to them. They're waking them up, or they get up and they're, they're a bit frightened. One quick question, just a, a sort of a yes or no. Do these do having Steve's these actually off the line? So, oh yes, yeah. okay. I'm sorry, Steve. Uh, so if the bo- dreams are bothering you, and you kind of hinted that it bothers you that you have these dreams. We first of all we talk about try to understand if there's any other certain medications involved, other medical issues, and it doesn't sound like this was an issue for Steve, but for the general person, we want to go into a a few things about could they have some underlying trauma in their lives and so Mm -hmm. forth, a kind of indolent post-traumatic stress disorder. Assuming those aren't really necessarily the issues, sometimes what we do with these people is go through their history, and then there's a thing called dream imagery. Mm -hmm. We work with them to slowly replace their dreams with something they like, Mm-hmm. and try to quiet that stimulus down. Many times that can be effective. There are times when we'll use a very low dose of medication, but that's relatively uncommon. The other thing about dreams that we want to be careful about is could the dreams be a response to a stimuli during sleep? So frequently, even something as, as common as obstructive sleep apnea can result in frightening dreams or awakening dreams. That's how the patient will relate it to you. Mm-hmm. And so when that's the case, we kind of put the dream issue on hold, explain the need. Those are the folks that we typically bring in for a sleep study. So that's how our initial evaluation usually goes there. But, you know, like a lot of issues that are sleep related, there's so many different directions where when you're dealing with dreams, especially dreams that are, whether it's disturbing your sleep or disturbing your consciousness for that matter, right? Uh, you know, that, that can have psychological uh, avenues. Obviously, stress is an issue there. You mentioned medication, and mm-hmm. I know that's one I personally experienced. Where uh, whenever whenever I've had like muscle pain and things like that, taking certain medicines, and I'm like, "What the well, heck yeah. happened?" Whoa, last night? That yeah, <laughs> nuts. I don't think I'm doing that again. That that's it's more common than folks actually realize. Yeah, we actually had a, a patient in the last week who was having sleep disruption from a common blood pressure medication. Hmm. Uh, and that particular medication is well known to do this. So we went through the medicines. That medicine was discontinued. Sleep problems are dramatically improved. Interesting. So, and it's not because anybody was doing anything incorrect. These are relatively um, low frequency side effects of common medications. Hmm. So the doctor that was caring for the patient was doing exactly what they should have done. It's just, they were having this relatively uncommon. And if you think about it, subtle, a side effect from that medication, their blood pressure was in fact, perfectly controlled. Sure. And during the day, the patient felt great. It was just the sleep disruptions that over a period of time became apparent to the patient. And then they sought help. 
So it's interesting. So someone in, you know in that situation comes to you in the office and says, "Listen, Doctor Rogel, I I'm not getting good sleep at night. I'm having these crazy dreams every night, and I can't turn it off. It's driving me nuts." Is the is the next action typically a sleep study, or or you know what what from your point of view, how do you properly diagnose or figure out what the root cause is? So that's the perfect question because that's exactly the way the patient will look at it coming in the door. Yeah. What's the next step? So one is to to really understand, first of all, on our part, we take a full history, is to understand what the issues we just discussed are. Mm-hmm. Medications, other medical problems, and some about their sleep health. When do they go to bed? When does these occur? As Steve was outlining for mm-hmm. us, from there, unless they have an indication right away to do a sleep study, we typically start to diagram their sleep. We I call it a homework project. We give, give the patient a homework project to work on their night-to-night sleep diagrams. When this is occurring, any medicines, try to put it all together, have them come back in about three to four weeks and meet with our PhD and who's board certified in sleep and myself together. And we spend about an hour working through the issues. If we can't come up with a way forward from there, a plan, sometimes we have to have them come in for a sleep study. But in most of the time, unless they give us a reason to do a study, we don't do a study for this particular problem after the first visit. What would you say are the big three sleep disruptors? Because if someone's, you know, say you're regularly struggling, and that can be a miserable experience. When you've gone weeks and weeks on end, mm-hmm. you're, you know you're exhausted, you get to a point where you're just not functioning well in your day-to-day, even well enough to troubleshoot the problem sometimes. I've been there, so I I get it. Um, Learning from you over the last several years that you've come on the air, uh, you know, one thing that I noticed was I, I don't I don't drink a whole lot. I'm you know it's not I'm not against it. It's fine. You know, right. I don't mind having a beer every once in a while. But I realized every time that I was traveling. I had trouble sleeping in hotels, and I thought the problem was I had trouble sleeping in hotels. What I realized was, no, when I when I travel, I had a habit of uh, I go get a beer. I'm sitting here by myself. I may as well go grab a beer and you know work on whatever it is. Well, I don't sleep that well after that. I never do that at home. Yeah, that's interesting. And once I cut that, that I was like, all of a sudden, I could sleep in hotels just fine. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So, what are the big three that you would say? Hey, if you're having trouble sleeping every night, start here. Of course, go. You know, you may need a sleep study, but what are the ones that you would say self-diagnose here a little bit? So the biggest issue is going to be external factors. Mm-hmm. So what are those external factors? Just as you described, change in environment, change in life, mm-hmm. right? Some some huge stressor. We know that is one of the biggest disruptors of sleep. Uh, external factor could be considered pain, right? I have a knee injury, I have a back injury. Um, I'm having difficulty sleeping. So those factors are probably the most common sleep disruptors. Then we have other factors such as internal factors where you have an actual sleep problem. You're snoring, you might have sleep apnea, you have chronic insomnia from some behavioral issue. Mm -hmm. So those are the sleep disorder factors. And then number three, interestingly, is a, a sort of a lack of education or awareness to how to do sleep health in general. And those are, are the people that come to see us, which we can make a great impact, is basically organizing their sleep in a period of three to four visits with our sleep behavior team to try to, we, we start to get people to really raise this to a conscious level and give them the tools to fix themselves. One thing that you didn't mention, Dr. Ojal, is are you taking enough sleeping pills? I wonder why. Well, you know, you ha- you sent an article right, over right. about sleep health and sleeping pills. Let's talk about that when we come back. I would love to. This is Ion Health on the money. Or, I'm sorry, Ion Health 
on FM News Talk 97.1. Full on adult heaven. Air Comfort Service Heating. FM News Talk 97.1. This is Ion Health with our special, uh, one of our favorite guests here, Dr. Joe oh, Odell. Eric. Thanks for coming back Thank on. Thank you. Uh, we're talking about sleep health. We're talking about your sleep health and, and, and major issues that you should be aware of. Now, we're going to hit on a couple articles here, of course. If you have any questions for Dr. Ogel, 314-241-9797 or 866-455-9797. Before we uh, took the break there, Dr. Ogel, talked a little bit about sleeping pills. Um, you, you guys sent over an article, FDA requires stronger warnings about rare but serious incidents related to certain prescription insomnia medicines. This is uh, from the FDA's website, actually, FDA.gov. Uh, so you can Google that, find it. But w- what's this story all about, Dr. Ojo? So first of all, thank you for the opportunity to talk about this particular subject because it's one that is probably one of the most common concerns that patients have mm-hmm. at all levels, uh, the concern about taking medication. Uh, this particular uh, edict that was put out by the FDA actually is, is very consistent with how we practice already, which is that we, our view and what we tell patients exactly is that we are agnostic about sleep medications. We're not necessarily for them. We're not against them. We view that as, as a tool that we can use in the right circumstance to help an individual patient. Mm-hmm. So let's get to what the issues are are causing them to have their sleep problem. So that's, first of all, kind of a theoretical, but a very important underpinning of how we approach a patient, which is what you've really been talking about today. What the FDA is concerned about is that these medicines, first of all, interestingly, are probably some of the most widely used medications. They've had literally billions of uses meaning nights that they've sure. been used. And over when, when medicines are studied, they're studied in the hundreds or the thousands. So statistically, side effects that are very low percentage may not show up during these initial trials that the FDA uses to make sure that medicines that we all take are safe. Mm-hmm. And now after all these years and billions of uses, there is these side effects where people may get up and, and, and your, your listeners have heard of these things where people take a sleeping pill and they drive a car or they do an unusual activity, sure. what's called a complex behavior. Yeah. The FDA has now gone to the point of saying, hey, look, public and physicians, this can occur. You should be aware of it. And you should make sure that folks are, have an awareness level that if this occurs, the medicine should not be used. And So let, let's rewind there for a yeah, second. Go ahead. You say, you're saying someone takes a sleeping pill and in a, like a semi-conscious state, hops in the car and starts heading down the road. Hops in the car. This explains so much of what I see on Highway 40. I just, <laughs> Even during the day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe on the way here. Yeah. They, so there are these that this can happen. Now, does it happen all the time? No, it's a relatively unusual or rare occurrence. Mm-hmm. But we want to have an awareness level of these sort of complex behaviors. It should be something that's known. And so they wanted to put that into the package insert so that it causes medical professionals to have to say, okay, look, this is an issue. It doesn't mean the medicines shouldn't be used under the right circumstance. It doesn't mean the medicines shouldn't be continued. If the person's not having a problem with them, they're getting the right therapeutic benefit, so be it. It's another reason, though, why folks who are on these medicines should be seeing their doctor regularly. We have patients that are relatively new to these medicines that we see, say, monthly or quarterly at first. But once they're stable for a long period of time, 
we'll only see them once a year to touch base and make sure nothing's changed in their history. The medicine is being used correctly and is working correctly. But being open-minded to say, are, are any of these unusual behaviors occurring? What are the most common ones, Eric, that yeah. people here talk about? Getting up and eating at night or getting up and walking. Wait, it's, that's not normal? Well, it depends. Unless it depends you, on it, how conscious you are exactly. that it happened. I, or I don't want to remember that it happened. I like to pretend that I don't know that that happened. <laughs> But we all know that it happens. It does, yeah. it does yeah. happen without <laughs> sleeping pills. Yeah, how, did, so. how did that ice cream go missing? I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, what's yeah. funny is these folks will come and tell you these unusual histories, which is they'll get up and have ice cream with ketchup. <laughs> so, they, in other words, what these complex behaviors they have are a yeah. little out of our normal behavior, which yeah. is one of the ways they get tipped off. You know, they, they'll come in and say, like, my spouse comes out and finds that the ice cream's melted out on the counter and there's a ketchup bottle and... A, a bowl and here's a, the problem i i live with five children age nine and under there's any number of reasons why there's a melted box of ice cream and and uh, ketchup on the counter i it, that's just like tuesday well you have yeah. the potential to live with complex behavior right because <laughs> right. little kids do this naturally yeah, yeah. so it's a very interesting but that's the gist of this sure the fda warning from my perspective I, again as you wisely did you gave it to the view the listeners to talk about read and talk about but it I want to caution people if they're on medications now, yeah. they're working and doing well, there's no action item. They don't they're need not, to do anything it's different. Bad. Exactly. It's not bad. They didn't take the drugs off the market. They didn't limit how they can be written. This is just a progression of safety awareness that the FDA has chosen to take. And, and I don't think it's a wrong action at all. And are these specifically prescription sleep aids or also over the counter? What what's in what's the difference? Like what are the main main mm-hmm. uh, drugs that we're speaking of here? So these are for prescriptions uh, sleep aids that are known and uh, in, in sort of lingo as hypnotics. Okay. They're the drugs with the trade names of things like Ambien, mm-hmm. Lanesta, Sonata, these drugs that work and they work um, on the receptors in your brain that are similar, they, they have some of the characteristics of drugs like, in the class of drugs like Valium, called benzodiazepines. Mm-hmm. And they hit a couple of those receptors, most importantly, the receptors of those type drugs that make you sleepy. Gotcha. Unfortunately, there isn't a perfect drug in the world. So what's the perfect drug? We call it a square wave, meaning the minute you take it, it puts you to sleep. Yeah. The minute you want to wake up, so that's that's the beginning of the wave. Yeah. The, and it goes away as soon as you want to wake up. Yep. And, and it, it has, has no, no side effects. Effect. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. That drug doesn't exist. Yeah. So we have to adapt and make sure we're all working together to understand any side effects and the variability of these medications in, in our bodies. And so this is part of that process. So I imagine, you know, if it's working on some of the uh, same pathways as, as uh, what's, I just, I've heard of them referred to as benzos yes. before, so, so I don't, ben, I'm not a medical doctor. Yeah, so it's called, they're called, the, the family is called the benzodiazepines. Benzodiazepines. Like, like the Robert is family. That also, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that also what, where like Xanax falls? Exactly. Yeah. So, and I've, you know, I've only had to take Xanax like, two or three times and when i did out like a lot oh yeah Yeah. it'll make you feel yeah so that's you're not worried about anything they're not but i'm not conscious either so (laughs) and so what are those what the benzodiazepines are known for they give you they can give you amnesia Mm -hmm. okay we call it antigrade amnesia yep and yes it can relax you yes it can help you sleep it causes muscle relaxation they have anti-seizure properties Mm -hmm. well these drugs for sleep that are in that, they're called benzodiazepine receptor agonist. 
That's something your listeners yeah, are going to be excited about. Yeah. So the lingo for that is BZRAs. And do those interact with certain other popular prescription drug categories that you know you should be aware? Hey, if you're taking you know, uh, some form of an antidepressant or some form of an anti-anxiety uh, drug alongside this sleeping pill, make sure your doctor's aware. Yeah, well, the answer is yes to that. And most importantly, it interacts with other things like alcohol. Oh, okay. So if you're taking these drugs, alcohol should not be on the plate. You shouldn't be using alcohol with them because they can markedly exacerbate in a dangerous way the effects. So when you see... Um, some of these celebrity issues yeah. that have come up um, where they'll say, well, it looks like the person may have died from sleeping pills. Yeah, It's possible, but when you really look into their history or their autopsy, you'll find out alcohol was frequently involved with the sleeping pills, with other illicit drugs sure. and all these. Well, what happened is, is you're getting a witch's brew yeah. of... Can you really blame all, the sleeping pill at well, that point? Well, There's so much going on. Exactly. They're yeah. all exacerbating each other, yeah. right? They're all contributing. And in who a, knows what the ice cream with ketchup added to that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that may be the savior. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> we do know that fat, a, little, a load of fat will just reduce the absorption. So maybe that's go. what they're missing. There you go. Beautiful. So uh, anything else on sleeping pills that uh, that, that we should uh, make sure everybody's aware of? Uh, we want to use the lowest possible doses mm-hmm. for the shortest possible duration. That's the general thing. If you're regularly using over-the-counter sleep aids, I, I, I is there a threshold where, I, I, I've used them before, mm-hmm. where, where it's like, man, I just, for life me, cannot go to sleep. And, uh, you know, there you get the NyQuil that's the sleep version. Yeah, You know, it's like, you know, Z-Quil. it's helped. It's helped. Yeah. Uh, it, but I have to think there's some threshold where if you're using this for more than X number of days, you know, maybe it's a month, I don't know, you need to go somewhere and, and check in. It, what, what is that threshold and what would your guidance be? So remember, most of the, most of the sleep aids that you see at the general pharmacy over the counter are for transient or short-term insomnia. Mm-hmm. They they really should not be used on a long-term basis. Most of them are related to antihistamines, so Benadryl is mm-hmm. the most common. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, why do they work? Because those drugs are antihistamines. Histamine in your brain is the chemical that helps keep you awake. Sure. So it simply blocks that, and it makes you sleepy or sedated. In a short-term fashion, it's a reasonable solution, especially if you're healthy and don't have a reason not to use an antihistamine. But if you don't get any benefit from that or you're having to use it every night to go to sleep, first of all, it becomes ineffective. Secondly, over time, those drugs are not free of side effects, as we discussed. And thirdly, you're probably not addressing what the real issue is. At that point, if it if it goes on for more, say, more than a week or two, sure. you should seek help from your regular physician or a sleep physician to start to put this in context and figure out, well, is there something else bigger going on here? And it may be either physiologic, psychologic, or an, a brewing medical problem that could be addressed rather easily. So one more question to that end. Here in the St. Louis region, we're one of the you know worst allergy areas in the country, and we're in one of the worst times of year for it. And I, I mm-hmm. know because I have terrible allergies. Same here. So uh, constantly loaded up on antihistamines of various, you know, for you got the Flonase and the Zyrtec right. and all, all of that going on at the same time. Does that, uh, one, if you're taking that sort of allergy medicine day in, day out for large portions of the mm-hmm. year, if not year round, can that impact either positively or, or adversely your sleep health? The, another excellent connection in how that 
the, the physiology works. Those, for first of all, the nasal sprays typically don't have the systemic effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we need those because if we don't use them and we're congested, then we're going to have nasal congestion, airflow restriction, and now we're choking and gagging yeah, when we're get sleeping. You get yeah. a different problem, right? Though antihistamines that people take day to day, um, many of them theoretically do not go to the brain, or as mm-hmm. we call it, cross the blood-brain barrier. Mm-hmm. That's kind of their claim to fame. That was the big advancement from drugs like Benadryl, diphenhydramine, which is the generic of it. So the trade name drugs Allegra, Zyrtec, Claritin have less, not zero, but less sedating effects. Yeah. And if you need them to function day to day, then we need to adapt to that, right? Gotcha. We that's that needs to be part of it. Could they theoretically have some detriment? possible, but I think right now you'd err on the side of it's a lot more benefit. So um, if you're taking, uh, whether it's a Zyrtec, Claritin, Allegra, whatever, you know, whatever the antihistamine is, should you be avoiding things like uh, these, you know, these Z-Quills or whatever? I, I don't know all the names of the yeah. sleep aids. Is is it an issue to potentially use those together? The, it, it can be. Uh, if it's for a night or two, you're probably okay to double up yeah. and, and use it. But if you have to do it every night, no, you shouldn't. And you need to go talk to You need doctor. to go talk to somebody. And, and the other thing is, this gets into a, another issue. Your allergy problems may be the bigger issue, not the sleep problem. You mentioned uh, sleep apnea and uh, some of the, and just fr- frankly, breathing problems in sleep, whether that's a result of allergies or other issues. You sent an interesting article over regarding sleep apnea and glaucoma. Now, this is Ion Health, so we have to talk about All right. it. Okay, Dr. Jones isn't here to opine, but we will jump We'll carry into the that. ball for him. That's next right. on Ion Health, Thank FM you. News Talk 97.1. FM News Talk 97.1, this is Ion Health, and uh, we're here to take your calls at 314-241-9797 or 866-455-9797. Special guest in the studio, Dr. Ojal from uh, the Clayton Sleep Institute, claytonsleep.com. Uh, and of course, if you've missed anything on this show or you want to catch any of Dr. Ogel's previous appearances, uh, ionhealthradio.com. You can find all of the podcasts there. Dr. Ogel, you've been coming on the air with us for at least five years. It's been a while. It may, may even have been longer than that. I mean, we've been doing the show for seven or eight at this point. So Every time it's a privilege and it's fun. We, we, we enjoy having you on. And uh, if you have any questions about what we've talked about today, if you have any uh, uh, comments about the show, ionhealthradio.com. You can contact us there. Of course, also through 971talk.com or the radio.com app is streaming all the time. Uh, before we went to break, Dr. Ojal, we talked a little bit about sleep apnea and glaucoma. Uh, so where would you like to start? Well, it, this has been an a interesting and advancing problem that it had the progressive of ophthalmologists, people like Dr. Jones and others in the St. Louis region especially, have been attuned to for about 10 years that they were noticing that the patients coming in who had glaucoma fit the pattern for some of our sleep apnea patients. Hmm. They had bigger uh, diameter or circumference necks. They had smaller throats. They were snoring or they had a spouse who said they were snoring or they were tired all the time. So as we started to study these people, and now the studies you're referring to, they're coming out, several studies that show higher rates, two to three times the rates of sleep apnea in people with glaucoma. And so there's this risk factor. We're not, the mechanism of this is not well worked out. There are, there are theories, mm-hmm. but the science is not exact. This is what causes it. We think there are several things. Could it be the disruption 
um, the vascular disruption from all the repetitive apnea or holding of the breath at night? Uh, could it be a reduction in oxygen? Are the vessels from the, the optic vessels being disrupted? It's not totally clear, hmm. but what is clear is there's an association between obstructive sleep apnea and higher rates of glaucoma or high pr- or elevated pressures. So if your doctor diagnosed you with glaucoma and you have any of these other symptoms, you're snoring, you're tired, or you have the physiology, for, you know, you're, you have a, th- sm- a small throat, it's worth it to get a sleep study. We do most of our studies now at home, mm-hmm. a home sleep really? apnea test. About 60% of our studies in healthier patients, so meaning you don't have uh, severe heart or lung disease or um, other, like a neurologic issue. If you're just a, a person who has glaucoma and snores, maybe is on a blood pressure pill, we would do your uh, do a home sleep How apnea test. That? It's very simple. It's two belts, uh, a, a tubing that looks like an oxygen tubing you'd wear in the hospital, mm-hmm. and a little clip that goes over on your ear or finger to measure oxygen level. Mm-hmm. We fit you for it. It takes literally less than 15 minutes by our trained staff. Hmm. You take this home, and it looks like a camera case, yeah. which it is, um, and the patient just puts it back on at night. There's no wires hanging off of them. They can walk around with it on. We tell them to do whatever they normally do, including if there's someone who has a glass of wine at night. Sure. So be it. And then they just sleep. They bring it back to our office the next day. We read and interpret that data, and we can give them... It's, it's a great screening device, and if it's positive, we can treat them based on that. So it's quite effective. So l- let me just there's a there's a mask and one of those blood pressure clips. And, and, and two belts. And the belts, that, that I guess, mm-hmm. that me- measuring your heart rate or something? It's or? measuring, so what the belts, is one on your chest, one on your abdomen. Yeah. It's measuring excursion. Okay. Okay? Because people that have sleep apnea, that excursion becomes out of sync. Mm-hmm. And it's not even a mask, actually, Eric. It looks like, um, you know, like the oxygen tubing with the two little prongs. Yeah. We call yeah. them nasal cannulas. Right. That's what it looks like. And oh, it's measuring airflow at the nose. That's all it's doing. Gotcha. Uh, patients tolerate it so well. They're much happier. Uh, it's easy to use. It's quite inexpensive. It's a win-win for everybody involved. Well, I have to think that's one of the biggest uh, barriers to getting people to do a sleep study is, it's. I mean, it's you have to go somewhere and do mm-hmm. the study and take that night out of your week and all that sort of thing. This is huge if you can do that at home. Uh, we do it, and, and our the patients come and see us. We get a take a history and physical. We set, we explain everything to them. They can pick it up from either of our locations. They literally can come during work, their work hours. They can pop over at lunch. It's scheduled. They walk in, they say, Hey, hi, this is Eric. I'm here for my home study. Yes, sir. Eric, we have you down. We'll take you in the room. And they walk out. They can go back to work. That's that. That is amazing. Uh, it, it, after all these years, uh, that's that's really cool to learn. So if you're having sleep issues, or you you know you're snoring a lot, thinking you might mm-hmm. be having, get ClaytonSleepInstitute.com. Go check that out. And guess what? In the comfort of your own home. In the comfort of your yeah. own home. Just just drop. I can't drop say we're going to have office. somebody come and serve you anything, but you're still in the there comfort you of your home. home. Yeah, it, yeah. it really does work great. It's you can only enjoy for your ice cream and ketchup and privacy, knowing that you know it's all covered under. I think the court. we're going to see that at Schnooks or Deerbrook <laughs> soon. <laughs> uh, real quickly, back to sleep uh, apnea and glaucoma before we uh, wrap up the show here. Just one question: You mentioned some physiological markers, and and so can you, as you know, a medical doctor really trained in this, walk down? You know, you're walking through the airport and you're like, I bet that guy has sleep apnea. So the answer is we certainly can identify uh, the high highest risk patients. So you mentioned uh, thick neck? Uh, neck size, circumference over 17, uh-huh. uh, and a small airway, and also people that have sort of shorter squatter necks, okay. right? 
shorter necks. Um, those are the obvious signs. If you start to see the other physiologic signs, like they're looking a little bit bluer, they may have underlying other physiologic problems. But that group of people, and, and it doesn't always mean they're unhealthy. So, you know, you'll, you'll hear people say, well, oh, I, could, I saw so-and-so, and they want to judge them in that way. Yeah. But they can be, remember, football players have linemen have very high rates of sleep apnea Makes sense. linebackers you, you've seen some noted you know noted cases mm-hmm. recently baseball players certain athletes so it can be in people that are highly trained but their necks were just they're just not big enough to carry the airway and also uh, interesting populate ethnic populations there's high levels uh, in for instance people of the sub-asian continent uh, Japan Korea India these people are quite slight built thin mm-hmm. they have high rates of obstructive sleep apnea because they're their pharynx is their throats are quite small. Dr. Rojo, what's the best way for listeners to get a hold of you to find out more? Please contact us at 314-645-5855 or 314-849-1500 is also my office. Any events, speaking engagements coming up everybody needs to know about? Not this summer. Not this summer. All Thank right. you. Thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Ojal. Always a pleasure. That's Joe Ojal from the Clayton Sleep Institute, claytonsleep.com. This is Ion Health on FM News Talk 97.1, and we will talk to you next week.